The Dodgers keep beating teams they're supposed to beat. And today they got a boost from arguably the greatest Dodger of all time. Or at least the greatest L.A. Dodger of all time. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the Daily Podcast. I had to adjust my mic there for a second. Forgive me, everyone. This is the Daily Podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. I'm going to have a lower third up in just a second that will prove that's who I am because it says that I'm Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for well over a decade now, and this is my fifth season, of which we're in the back nine for here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thanks for making us your first listen, and thanks for all of you who are my everyday Sullys who are there every single day. Um, you can find me at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. A couple people got the trivia question correct uh who who let's see who got it on here give me one second um oh uh our one of our resident uh experts here amy green got the question right there was someone a couple other people did get it right uh if you got it right i'm saying amy i'll i'll shout you other ones out later sorry um the question was who is the only person to win the ALCS MVP on a losing team. And so which former Red Sox legend was the only person to win the ALCS MVP on a losing team? And I threw a little, it's a little trick how I phrase that because the answer was Fred Lynn, but Fred Lynn did not do it as a member of the Red Sox. He did it as a member of the Angels. Easy for you to say. So he did it in 1982 when he was part of the California Angels, that's what they were called then, that's what they should be called now, the California Angels, who had a just an absolute star-studded team, uh, lost the ALCS to the Milwaukee Brewers. And um, Fred Lynn, even though he was on the losing side, well, you know what? He he got himself the win. So there you go. He comes with the ALCS MVP. Um, so we're going to just talk a little bit about another great player who plays in Southern California. Um, the Los Angeles Dodgers had a decimated pitching staff that really was hampering their hopes of making it yet another year where they win a division title. And also... It was putting a it was putting a real monkey wrench into this season. You know, remember for the majority of this year, the Arizona Diamondbacks were the first place team, much to my delight when I was having Miller Thomas on every week here with Lockdown Diamondbacks. The first, you know, almost two thirds of the season, the Diamondbacks were in first place. Well, the Diamondbacks are falling like a rock, and I am gonna go over that a little bit. In fact, Miller Thomas and I are going to be doing an autopsy on the Diamondbacks, who could still make the playoffs, but it's they're just sputtering right now. And by the way, for those of you just 
drooling for me to do more Mariners material on this show. I've been getting some requests for that. Um, there's going to be another, this is going to be a six episode week and we're going to be doing another episode, which is going to drop either on Friday or Saturday. We're going to be talking about the Mariners, but we're going to talk about the Dodgers a little bit right now because they, you know, Michael Grove was injured. Uh, you, you saw, you know, Bobby Miller was up and down. Julio Urias is having an up and down season. Dustin May is on the disabled list. Um, it's just been, uh, the team is ravaged with injuries and, they made the. They didn't make the big splashy deal, although you know I said you bring in a major leaguer and hope a change will do them good. To paraphrase Elton John, and we see that's exactly what's happened with Lance Lynn coming over and making a few adjustments to his rotation, to his delivery, and everything. And he's won his first two games. It pitched quite well. Thank you very much since coming to the Dodgers. So that's a, a big improvement right there. Um, but the big one was Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, who was an all-star this year, who is still leads the Dodgers in most of the pitching category, hasn't pitched in about, what, six weeks or something like that, uh, came off the injured list on the against the Colorado Rockies on Friday's game. And he, look at you, obviously Kershaw is not the spring chicken he used to be. So you're not necessarily going to ask him to throw a complete game shutout. I mean, you know, who do you think he is? Michael Lorenzen? But he did give the Dodgers what they needed. He came out. He faced Colorado. And Colorado's not, they're not world beaters. But as as I figured out when I guest hosted for Lockdown Rockies uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there, there are some capable players there who could surprise you. They've won some upset series in this second half. But Kershaw wound up throwing um, five solid innings. He didn't walk a batter. He let up three hits, and he let up a solo home run um, to uh, – what, what, was, what was the name of the dude he hit the home, who hit the home run? It was uh, – um, it'll, it'll hear, it's one of these names that I'm, I've never said out loud. You're witnessing history. Um, Elahuris Montero, uh, just Montero, hit the home run to make it one nothing, And for a while, it looked like he was going to get a tough luck loss. Um, but then the Dodgers, Max Muncy hit a game-tying home run, and then Max Muncy drew a bases-loaded walk, and boom. And suddenly, things are looking pretty good for the Dodgers in terms of their pitching staff as well. An interesting thing was, yes, Kershaw pitched very well. He pitched, gave him the five innings they need. But Yarbrough, who I still think of him as a member of the Tampa Bay Rays, Yarbrough got the win. And this is not a cheapo reliever win where he pitches like one-third of an inning. He threw three shutout innings, allowed only one hit, no walks, four strikeouts, and he got the victory holding him steady. And Gratterall got the save. Now, this is all positive stuff for the L.A. Dodgers right now, and here's a big reason why. Uh, Kershaw coming back, you know, he is still a solid pitcher. You know, he's given them, he's thrown 100 innings, even though he's thrown more than 100 innings for the Dodgers, even though he spent, this, you know, about a month and a half on the injured list. His ERA is 2.51. Um, he still has... Uh, many more strikeouts than innings pitched and a great strikeout to walk ratio and putting him back in rotation is a solid thing. 
another thing that I mentioned this the other day that Evan Phillips has been the closer for a bunch recently, but Gratterall has pitched well too. And what did I just say about uh, Yarbrough? Ryan Yarbrough, and this is just his second appearance with the Dodgers. Ryan Yarbrough has been terrific. He has let up one run in seven and a third innings out of the bullpen. And suddenly, all the worrying about the Dodgers, Joe Kelly has pitched well since coming over. Um, you know, uh, Ryan Brazier has pitched well since coming over. Suddenly, the Dodgers, who didn't make the big sexy move, but they did make moves that made them a better team, that did make them, uh, does give them uh, pitching depth that they need. And, you know, Yarbrough, if, if you want Yarbrough, who I just remember as being someone who did a little bit of everything with Tampa Bay, you know, he started, he, you know, he came out of the bullpen and everything like that. Well, and since being acquired by uh, Los Angeles from the, uh, from Kansas City, uh, he has, he's given them what they need. And just take, a, you know, the Dodgers who were, you know, who were well behind the Arizona Diamondbacks the last time that Clayton Kershaw pitched this season. Well, right now, the Dodgers, who were letting the Giants creep up on them, have built up a six-and-a-half game lead on San Francisco. They're 11 and a half games in front of the Diamondbacks, who have just been, you know, the Diamondbacks have lost, uh, you know, nine of their last 10. Um, but the Dodgers have won nine out of their last 11 games. And with that, the Dodgers have opened up a big, wide, big honking wide lead in the, in the West. And they're going to be continuing the next couple of games against the Colorado Rockies. Now, the Rockies are not a very good team, but that's one of the things that Dodgers have been good at. They have been not losing the dumb games. They have a four-game stretch coming up, of which they've won game one kind of handily against the Colorado Rockies. Meanwhile, San Francisco is going to find themselves playing the Texas Rangers in the Bruce Bochy coming back to the Bay Area series. And Arizona's will be playing the Padres. Okay, they're, they're, that's two relatively evenly matched teams. But for the Dodgers to build up their lead and to strengthen their pitching staff, suddenly this Dodger team, well, look, at for a lot of us, we've been saying that Atlanta is the team to beat in the um, National League. And they probably still are. But the Dodgers are serving notice right now. They are still a good team. They're still going to win the division. They're st- they now have pitching depth they didn't have just a couple weeks ago. And now they're starting to gel, especially if Kershaw comes back, which he has. And with that, we're going to take a quick peek at Kershaw's legacy, especially when you consider another World Series champion, former Cy Young Award-winning Dodger, is being honored this very weekend. And it might be a chance to take a look at what Kershaw's legacy is with the Dodgers, because statistically, it's better than you probably imagine. All right, everybody, let's talk a little bit about, there it is, 
sleeper. Now, look at We got a bunch of games coming up here. Bunch of games coming up this weekend. And uh, do you know what? I'm thinking some big – and I'm always going to be predicting that Shohei Otani is going to do something we haven't seen before. But I'm thinking that you're going to see Raphael Devers get some big, huge hits. And I think that you're going to see the Dodgers – absolutely manhandle the Colorado Rockies. So do what I'm going to do. I'm going to find myself opening up my sleeper app. Here it is. And I am going to, right right there, I am going to put in a bunch of picks because I want to win big time. And not only win big time, but win with big, big payouts. Look at if I think that Otani's going to hit a home run or Rafael Devers is going to a big, huge triple right down into the triangle, then do you know what? I'm going to count on sleeper where I can swing for the fences with up to 100 times my bet payout. All you have to do is choose two or more players that you like and select more or less the stats categories that you want to pick, like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right, and you can win big. And you can win big with dynamic payouts. Dynamic payouts are live. Now, what are dynamic payouts? Well, in short, each player projection now has a multiplier attached to it, as opposed to preset multipliers based on the number of legs in a contest. With dynamic payouts also come stack categories to place contests on. And you can get higher payouts than other apps with fewer picks. Use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get up to $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational over 30 states. Check out Sleeper when? Check them out today. This weekend at Chavez Ravine, the Dodgers are going to be hosting the Colorado Rockies, and they're going to be retiring, finally, Fernando Valenzuela's number. They should have done that a long time ago. I know some teams only retire the Hall of Famers who's played for the team. The Red Sox are like that. I think the only, non, yeah, the only non-Hall of Famer that the Red Sox have retired their number for is Johnny Pesky. The White Sox, on the other hand, will retire everybody's number. I think my number got retired by the White Sox in one way, shape, or form. The Yankees retire a number anytime they see a slight dip in the attendance, which means that the the lowest non-retired number with the Yankees right now, I think, is 93. I'm going to have to look into that. They're going to run out of numbers soon. And they'll look back and say, maybe we shouldn't have retired Jorge Posada's number. I digress. The Dodgers, for the most part, have retired the Hall of Famers from their team. The Junior Gilliams and the Don Newcombs of the world have had their numbers retired as well. Fernando Valenzuela should have his number retired. He was the catalyst of the 1981 World Series champion where he was rookie of the year in Cy Young Award. He electrified baseball with that rookie year, and he became the guy for Mexican-American fans in Los Angeles. Who The Mexican-Americans in Los Angeles – stayed away from the Dodgers in droves, mainly because of, and I'm not going to get into all the politics behind it, but the formation of the stadium in Chavez Ravine meant many Mexican-American families were displaced. And for a lot of, for a generation, the Dodgers represented something very negative for that community. 
Well, when Fernando Valenzuela arrived, suddenly it became the team as a guy who was dynamic and electrifying and just looked like a guy. He just looked like a, he didn't look like a great athlete. He looked like a guy that you would know and hang out with. And that created that illusion of, hey, that could be me. It couldn't have been because Fernando Valenzuela was a great pitcher. But he's been, to this day, when you go to Dodger Stadium, you see so many people wearing the Valenzuela jerseys. And when he's one of the uh, Spanish language uh, broadcasters for the Dodgers, and whenever they cut to him or like they show him on the Jumbotron, he gets a gigantic ovation. He's an enormously popular player, getting his number retired. Clayton Kershaw is also going to get his number retired at one way, shape, or another. Now, Kershaw is – you do see a lot of Kershaw jerseys there. Dodger fans do love Kershaw, not with the intensity of Valenzuela, but still. Now, Kershaw's legacy I find quite interesting. For most of my life, if I ask the question – and I'm the sort of person who asks myself questions like this. Who's the greatest Dodger of all time? Well, there were always two answers. The greatest Brooklyn Dodger of all time was Jackie Robinson. Not just because of what he did on the field. What he did on the field was wonderful. He was an MVP and he helped lead the Dodgers to many pennants and was a big part of the 1955 World Series title. But also the impact that he had on not just the Dodgers, not just baseball, but America and so, obviously, you put him at the top. Who was the greatest Los Angeles Dodger of all time? That answer was simple. It was Sandy Koufax, who had one of the most incredible peaks of any pitcher in baseball history. And I also love the symmetry of that. I love that the greatest Brooklyn Dodger was Jackie Robinson, who grew up outside of just outside of Los Angeles, right here in Pasadena, which borders Los Angeles. So he grew up in Los Angeles. The greatest Brooklyn Dodgers from Los Angeles County. The greatest Los Angeles Dodger was Sandy Koufax, who was born and raised in Brooklyn. So I loved that uh, that symmetry to it. Um, you could look at the fact that Koufax cut his career short by his own choice. He didn't have the super long peak, and he also didn't have the chance. We never saw the chance to see Koufax's downslide. He retired when he was uh, at the peak of his powers. Well, uh, the, in terms of like war, pitch, pitcher war and everything like that, Don Drysdale had the highest. And the same for years, the sabermetrics looked like Drysdale was the greatest LA Dodger of all time. I still lean towards Sandy because his peak was better. But now we got to honestly look at Kershaw and see where he fits in that. Where does he fit in the history of the Dodgers? Right? Well, if you're if you like sabermetrics, the highest war for pitchers in Dodger history is Kershaw, and frankly, it's not even close. As he's had Dazzy Vance and Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax and Don Sutton and Oral Hershiser and Fernando Valenzuela, I mean, it's not even close. Now, in terms of wins, Don Sutton pitched the most in Dodger history and he got the most wins and the most losses in many of the advanced metrics, things like adjusted base runs, adjusted batting wins, base out, run save, win probability added all these stats that I don't quite understand how they work, but they're all led by Clayton Kershaw, all of them. 
and in terms of sort of like you know career earned run average, Kershaw's right up there. You know, he's third in wins, and if he gets two more, if he gets uh, just two more wins, he will pass Don Drysdale. I don't really look at wins or losses because, quite frankly, uh, that doesn't really. I don't think it's a good metric for a great but I know some people still like them. But you have to really stop and wonder, is he the greatest Los Angeles Dodger of all time? And I think in some ways, this is one of the things that creates that annoyance of what happened in 2017 with the Astros cheating scandal. Because the biggest bugaboo or bugaloo or whatever you want to say in Kershaw's reputation was the fact that he came up short in the postseason, which I think is a little bit overrated, but there, but it is based on in some number of facts, especially because he was paralleled at the same time with Madison Bumgarner of the Giants, that during the absolute apex of Kershaw's career, Kershaw was coming up small in the big games while Bumgarner was dominating. And... Yeah, you take a look at some of Kershaw's career. There were he had some losses in some very bad games. In 2013, he actually was pitching well in the postseason. He pitched very well against Atlanta in the division series. He pitched well uh, in you know he got a tough luck loss in Game Two of the NLCS. Actually, no, he didn't get the loss in that. He didn't get he. Oh no, he did get the loss. I'm sorry. I'm looking at a different game here. Um, but it was he pitched well. But in the clinching game, in the game where the Dodgers were facing elimination, Kershaw got absolutely torpedoed in the NLCS of 2013. In 2014, he got bombed in both games against St. Louis in the division series. And once again, he lost a game, he lost the elimination game. He lost. Uh, he pitched actually well against the Mets in the 2015 postseason. He didn't play in the uh, clinching game, and actually that year he won a game where the Dodgers were facing elimination, but they wound up losing the last game. Um, 2016 again facing elimination. Hand the ball to Clayton Kershaw. He got bombed by the Cubs, and turned out to be a five nothing victory, sending the Cubs to the World Series. 2017 was supposed to be his great moment of redemption because all the, the talk was, oh, Kershaw is great the regular season, but he stinks in the playoffs. Well, he pitched well in the division series. Not great, but he pitched well in the division series. He pitched very well in the league championship series and won a clinching game for the Dodgers against the Cubs. And, and finally in the World Series, game one of the World Series against the uh, Astros, he dominated the Astros in game one. And do you know what? In the two home games, the two games played in Chavez Ravine, he combined for one earned run in 11 innings and struck out 15 and walked two. He pitched great in Chavez Ravine. He got bombed, especially by the Altuve home run, letting up six runs in four and two-thirds innings in that wild, surreal 13-12 to 12 game five. And, of course, we found out that the, Dodgers were, that the Dodgers were a victim of the Astros cheating. That was going to be Clayton Kershaw's John Elway moment. 
That was going to be his moment of answering all of his critics. And he faced a team that was banging the trash can. We didn't know it then. He would have been the World Series MVP if they if he pitched a mediocre game. But they were banging the trash cans, and this is what we we're stuck with. And, of course, the Red Sox were doing crazy stuff the next year, too. And Kershaw, once again, lost an elimination game. And look at Kershaw wound up being and then in 2019 remember he came out of the bullpen and this is partly on Dave Roberts we came out of the bullpen and let up two home runs that led to the Dodgers being eliminated in the fifth game against the Nats now Kershaw pitched well in the COVID year and he won both of his starts in that World Series and he was actually probably taken out too quickly in game um, in uh, uh, which which game was that in game five. But you know, there's this sense of COVID year was a weird year. It was a weird year for baseball. It was a weird year for the World Series. And yes, he got his World Series ring, but it was in Texas, and it was not. It just that whole pennant felt felt weird. I'm not taking anything away from it, but I just feel that his reputation of being an all-time great Dodger would be helped if the Dodgers won another title. It doesn't need it. He's had a remarkable career. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And winning the two games in the World Series in 2020, in my mind, wiped away part of the frustration of what happened in 2017. But he didn't get to do it in front of his fans. He didn't get to do it it was, in, it was in the weird situation where there's a handful of people there and the rest of them were cardboard cutouts. Not quite the same as the fans in Chavez Ravine going crazy f- when Fernando Valenzuela threw his complete game victory of the 1981 uh, World Series or Oral Hershiser getting the fans in L.A. up and cheering in 88. 2017 was going to be Kershaw's great moment, and that was taken away from which is the biggest crummy thing about what happened in that cheating scandal. But we got to take a good long look because the Dodgers haven't had that great player, that great offensive player, like a Hank Guerin, like a Ted Williams, like a Willie Mays or, or you know, uh, they they could have in the history of their team to be the great offensive figure in their franchise history. They've had some good ones. Zach Weed, of course, Duke Snyder. They traded away Mike Piazza. If they kept Mike Piazza, he probably would have been at least the greatest offensive Dodger of all time. And they had, as a minor leaguer, they had Roberto Clemente, but they lost him in the obscure Rule 5 draft. We could look up and say, hey, Kershaw, with this unbelievable peak that he had. And lest we forget, He's an all-star this year. He's still a good pitcher in this, which is his, what is it, his 16th season in the major leagues. That's nothing to sneeze at. So he's back. The Dodgers pitching depth is back. And if they win, his legacy may be better than you even think. I can't go too much in depth as as I wanted to do. I'm running a little bit long on this show, but it is interesting that, I mean, I've talked about this 
We'll talk with Gabby from Lockdown Red Sox. There is no clear-cut frontrunner in the American League right now. Uh, I mean, Baltimore won a key game, uh, held off being swept by the Astros, um, so they look really good. But the Guardians wound up beating the Blue Jays, and because the Red Sox also won wearing those yellow uniforms, which I don't like, but they keep winning them, so what are you going to do? You're starting to see teams are chipping away at that wild card. Right now, the Seattle Mariners are a game and a half out. Uh, Tampa Bay's uh, wound up losing to uh, the um, to St. Louis today, so they they no longer look as powerful as they did. Baltimore certainly looks like the best team, but you know what? I, I you know the Twins wound up losing today to Detroit. They didn't look very good against Detroit, and you know listen to Brandon Warren and everyone at uh, the Locked On Twins podcast to hear some of their frustration. But they're also the Twins are also celebrating the great career of Joe Maurer. Um, you're going to see as the Twins are playing the Phillies, and the Phillies are red hot. But this is a great test for the Twins who. I can't help but wonder why not them? Why not the Twins? Yes, they they didn't make a big splash in the trade deadline. They probably could have acquired this, that, or the other thing. But they also didn't trade away a lot of their assets, and every other team in the American League Central got worse. The you know Cleveland traded away major leaguers. Kansas City traded away major leaguers. The White Sox gutted their team. And the Tigers aren't that very, you know, despite the fact that they beat Minnesota today, they're not very good. So, I mean, the 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 pathway to the playoffs is, is wide open. But then you also look up, they're going to be playing whoever the last wildcard team is. Pablo Lopez is a good pitcher this year. Sonny Gray has been a good pitcher this year. Kenta Maeda has been, you know, okay. They have some a little bit of pitching depth there. Not great pitching depth, but a little bit. And, yeah, some of the players they have are having giant letdown seasons. But you're not asking Carlos Crayer to give you 162 games. You're asking him to give you a couple of great weeks. You're not asking Michael A. Taylor to be a, a world beater. You're just asking him to play well for a few weeks and – October. You're not asking Matt Walner to be the greatest phenom to come out of the farm system. It's just they have a, a bunch of little pieces when you think about them playing a Toronto or Seattle or maybe Boston. We won't be Boston. Neither one of those. I mean, Seattle is on a roll and watch. They could they could steamroll the Twins and find themselves in the ALCS faster than you can watch Ken Griffey Jr. score from first. But a team that has okay pitching and some bats that can be explosive, we're being really quick to dismiss their pennant chances. I think, am I picking them? I don't know. I don't think I am. I still think right now I'd go with Baltimore or Houston. But don't look away from the team that's going to have the easiest road to win a division title. And then may just have the pitching to go far. So keep an eye on them. Hey, uh, let's take a look at the trivia question we have here. We talked about uh, Fred Lynn was the, uh, the, the answer to the other trivia question, which was, 
who was the only person to win the ALCS MVP for a losing team. Uh, Bobby Richardson, by the way, was the only person to win the World Series MVP. To date, the only person to win the World Series MVP for the losing team. But here's an interesting factoid. Of the first 14 World Series MVPs, they started the World Series MVP in that award officially started giving out in 1955 when the Dodgers finally won, the Brooklyn Dodgers won, and Johnny Padres won the World Series MVP with his two victories, including the World Series clinching Game 7. Okay. They started handing out in 1955. Between 1955 and 1968, every single year they handed out the World Series MVP to a pitcher with two exceptions. One was Bobby Richardson in 1960, who won the World Series MVP for the losing team. The Yankees were the losing team, but Bobby Richardson drove in 12 and seven games and batted 367. Okay, of the first 14 World Series MVPs, who is the only one to be a position player on the team that won. 14 MVPs of the World Series, 12 of them were pitchers. Bobby Richardson did it as a position player for the losing team, who was the only one to be a position player on the winning team. That's a trivia question. Uh, post it on, uh, here on YouTube. Uh, you can post it at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram or at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Talking about the greatness of Clayton Kershaw, the mystery of the Twins, and saluting Fernando Valenzuela, whose numbers can be retired and eventually be next to Clayton Kershaw's. This has been Locked On MLB for the 11th day of August 2023. I'm yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.